want to say that uh, I, I appreciate being introduced as a guest. I like to think that at this juncture, Mary and I are, are regular members of the congregation and, uh, yeah, and family. And family's very appropriate. In fact, you'll find out in the message this morning, that's the emphasis really is family. We feel a part of this family and we certainly have felt the love. It's a privilege to be here this morning again in the absence of Scott. I love his preaching. I've said to he and my wife recently, it's amazing. Last week, of course, we're going through Ephesians and we were in the end of three last week. And uh, of course, I was very interested as a couple of the other brothers that are gonna be preaching, where is he gonna go? That helps us figure out where we're gonna go. And uh, he, he started at 314, went to 321, the end of three. And he, he did a message on seven verses. And I said to him afterwards, I said, I need to get where you're at. You know, I mean, you've got seven verses and you did X number of minutes, a good full message on seven verses. I was impressed and blessed. We have a good pastor here and a good preacher and teacher, so you know. I know you know that already, but I want to affirm that. They're blessed by Scott and Cheryl, for sure. Um, last time I was here, I had the message. I shared on the word um, and various ideas, but before I launched, I felt the Lord had laid something on my heart. Uh, yet again today, I feel there's one thing I want to say before I go into the prepared text. Uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I'm going to be looking at verses 1 through 16. Uh, yesterday, Mary asked me, um, how do you feel about your time? You have 16 verses there. I said, you know what? I said, you better bring a blanket and a sack lunch because I, it's a lot. 16 verses, believe it or not, is a lot to try to do expository. Today, I'm going to do a combination of expository and topical in Ephesians 4. Um, but last time I had a tidbit. I have a tidbit again before I launch into the text. And uh, then I'm going to pray before we, we start. But I want to say this, and I was able to share this with the men recently at a men's night. I want to say, I'm blessed. We are family, and we're saved. You know, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If, if there's no other reason to come here and worship in the, uh, on any day of the week, it's because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we're part of a big family. I mean... For real. But there are those of us that are connected. I, I counted the last day or two. I thought, who am I praying for that they would be part of the family of God, that they would be saved? Who am I praying for? And I, I kind of counted up who I'm regularly praying for. And, um, and I'm sure you are too. I want to encourage you to that end. I counted 23 family members, whether it's immediate or by marriage or, or um, in that light. 23 and then there's even some others occasionally, my neighbors, some that I, I don't hit as much. I almost hit those family people almost daily. And I want to encourage you to that end. This is what I'm, I'm getting length of. Let me just get to the point on this. In 1 John 5, 14, the word of God says that if we pray according to God's will, he hears what we ask. And then it goes on to say, and if he's hearing what we're asking, we have confidence that as he hears it, that the answer's coming. And I thought, okay, I've also read in the book that his will is that none would perish. So if we're praying according to his will and he's hearing what we're asking and we're praying for specific people, I want to encourage us this morning. God will answer those prayers. Yes. And I think we grow weary sometimes. We wonder, we don't see them coming around. And I'll just finish with this. I can think of two occasions in our family over the years that we've prayed for people, one was my older brother, Mickey, who is passed, and I can say confidently and with joy, he's in heaven, and in the last two weeks, he came to the Lord, and I was privileged to be part of that, and 
my wife Mary, her mother, who had walked with the Lord some years before, but in the last 90 days of her life, we watched the Lord arrange in the Bremerton, Seattle area of Washington, a chaplain, an AG, Assemblies of God pastor, who was also a police chaplain, get to know her in the last 90 days of her life. All the prayers we'd prayed over the years, we watched him right in front of us, arrange it, bring that chaplain in who was also a pastor, visited her in the hospital on more than one occasion, called us the first time she said the sinner's prayer with him in the last 90 days of her life. And then the day she passed, called us and said, I'm here to tell you if I've ever seen anybody repent and turn to the Lord, she came to the Lord and I want you to know that on this day especially. And so I want to encourage you, God will answer those prayers, but let's not grow weary in praying for our loved ones because God, we're already doing what he said to do. Now we need to trust him to do his part. So keep naming them, keep praying for them, and God will honor the prayer. Amen? Amen. I really believe that. Um, today's title is, I think we have it up here, uh, we're in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Who do you think you are? I changed the title, I had it something else, but as I went through the Lord laid this on my heart, so we'll launch into that. Let me just pray briefly before we go. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for your word. And thank you that we are family. And uh, even Caleb emphasized that here in worship. And then a moment ago, John talked about family. We are family, and we're blessed by that. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd rest upon us, cause us to be sensitive to the things that you're speaking to our hearts today, that we'd be different because we came to our Father's house on this day, trusting you for it all. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, how many people are on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I, uh, it's interesting. I have a number of people. Because I've launched out to the Philippines before, I have a lot of contacts in the Philippines. And then recently I got one from Africa, a friend request. It was from a gal in a church in Africa. And um, she asked to be a friend. And I, I, a lot of times... I'll kind of look before I just immediately hit okay. And I looked and I saw she was in a church. But I, I just want to bounce it into your court, run it past you to see if the name of her, the church, what you think. I thought it was, I don't know, I don't know if I'd want this to be the name of my church. It was called Father's Crib International Church. Not the Father's House. Not the Father's House, but Father's Crib. I thought it was a bit much. I didn't know that I wanted to roll with Father's Crib. I'm glad we're at Klamath Christian Center. Uh, equipping is something that's emphasized um, for people who are, you know, for all of us and, and those that are pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. We'll read in four, it talks about doing those things. Why? To equip the church. Because it's not just the job of someone who has five-fold ministry or five parts of ministry and Ministry gifts aren't limited to just those mentioned in Ephesians, but it's to equip. And so that's going to be my point today to talk about a few things. Um, we have Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 from the New Living Translation. I'd like to see it this morning. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, Paul says, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making all allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Amen. So we look at those six verses. Paul was writing us from prison. This is an epistle from prison. I, I had to stop for a moment and think about that. 
And again, in talking about praying for people who aren't yet where we are, and we hope they will be, I think it's important to pray for encounters for them because that's what caused Paul, who was so opposed to Christianity, to be vying for it up to and including saying, I don't care, you can send me to prison, I'm not stopping. The very thing I used to be against. Why? Because he had an encounter. And, and I want to say, we should pray for encounters. Think about your own encounters. When you've had encounters with God, they've changed you. They've watered your root system. They've made you more unshakable. And irregardless of what we run into, because of those encounters, we can look back on them and say, God met me here. And so we ought to be praying for encounters. He had an encounter, and he wrote from prison this letter. And he appealed to us. He referred to us as the called and what it means is, and it's mentioned there a couple times, called means summonsed, that we're summonsed, or we have a divine invitation. I mean, again, I can't tell you how much I'm blessed to be where we are, each one of us. There was a day for most of us, unless we were born and raised in it, and I was and kind of wandered and came back, but there was a day we were in what we call our BC days. But, but that's no more for any of us. I mean, that, so we're, we've had a divine invitation, we've been summoned by God, and we've responded to it. And that's exciting and such a blessing. And Paul says, because you're called, live a life worthy. And uh, I don't know if I've hit that mark yet, but, but that's the way we should be bent, living a life worthy of the call. And we might say, well, how do we do that? Well, he, he talks about in those verses to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to make allowance for others' faults uh, because of our love. The things he's talking about, some are identified fruits of the Spirit right from Galatians 5. Other things are fruits of the Spirit, even though they're not found in Galatians 5. Humility, being humble, making allowance for each other's faults. I think you could call that patience. Um, these are fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residency in each one of us. And I know we know that in theory, but when you think about this, you know, Romans 8, 11 says, the same spirit that caused Jesus to rise from the dead lives in you and quickens your mortal body to life. I don't know about you, that's an exciting passage. And it's, it's a weighty thing if you just, if you do a say law, a say law on that idea, you stop and pause and think about that. The same spirit that caused Jesus to rise from the dead lives in us and quickens our mortal body to life. And, and that's kind of how we get what he's charging us to do, how we get it done. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. He enables us. I mean, how much of a, how, those of us that were in BC days that now are in the Lord, I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, can think about what we used to do, what we used to say, what we used to participate in, and how different we are today. That's the power of the Holy Spirit who's changed us and is changing us. And Paul, Paul is charging us to that end. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he who lives in us than he who's in the world. Good, good things to recollect. The Apostle Paul continues, he says, make every effort to remain and be united by and because of the Holy Spirit. He says, be bound together in love. Uh, I'd like to say for us, consider us in a biological family. Um, how many of us that are biological, with, with our immediate family, irregardless, I would hope most, most of the time if there's been some offense we're, we're committed, we're in, we're not done with our family because we offend each other, we, because we rub up against each other and there's some rough edges, you know, and so that's how we, we're, we make allowance for each other, we're bound together in love, and, um, and, and he says, let love be the driver for these things. And so, and, and 
Pastor Scott uses this term and it's fitting. He talks about slape agape. You know, agape is unconditional love. And I think and hope we've experienced that this side of coming into the kingdom. Uh, unconditional love. I mean, it's different. There's a real difference. And, um, but then in verse 15 later, it says, speak the truth in love. So at one point it says, make allowance for all these challenges. And at the same time, it says, by the way, you're okay to speak the truth in love too. And I want to just say there's a balance point probably. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit to make allowances for each other. But there's also a line. I'll just say um, this last week there were two times um, that I, I spoke to some people or to one person in particular, actually two, this last seven days or so that I spoke the truth in love. And, uh, and I really did it in love. But the point is, I, you know, that's one thing I didn't like about pastoring so much, and I've heard Pastor Scott talk about it too, is some of the confrontational parts of ministry where you have to approach someone and speak to them and you do it in love, but it's not easy. And uh, I can remember pastoral staff, we talk about things and we would talk about a challenge and it seemed around the table, it always land back at me, it always defer to me. They didn't want to do the confrontation. You know, the buck stops with you. I thought, well, hey, we're all pastoral on this team and your uncles and aunts as well, and it doesn't always have to be dad who's the heavy. Amen? I mean, we share it. And by the way, there's a lot of credibility in that because it's like the person that's a recipient of it can say, I heard aunt so-and-so or uncle. I heard another brother, another elder, another sister and, and uh, brother in the Lord that are elders or not, just people who are respected in the Lord speak into my life and I receive it because it's coming from a couple of points, not just a heavy Amen? So we speak the truth in love, but we do it with much grace. We've been the recipients of it. I mean, Ephesians talks about that too. Extending forgiveness as you've received it, extending grace as you've received it, as we speak the truth in love as well. Um, I want to say this, as far as the church goes, the family of believers. Uh, Jesus said this, if I'm not mistaken, and you would agree with me. He said offenses are surely going to come. I mean, we've read it, right? He says offenses are going to come. And, um, and from a pastoral perspective, I would say that uh, we saw people exit sometimes over the years because they bumped up against something and where, where it was very legitimate that we thought, you know what, they should have been able to shake that off. We should have had another conversation. I mean, when you're married, you don't call a divorce attorney the first time you have an argument, you know, and in the body of Christ, just because your feathers get ruffled or you hear something or someone speaks the truth in love, we need to be a little more receptive and a little more committed to the family of believers to, than to bail when we are challenged the first time. You know, and I could go into a whole other story that's another sermon and won't right now where Mary and I experienced that before we were in pastoral ministry, but because we remained and felt the Lord say, you might experience that should you go somewhere else, we decided, why don't we stay and write it out and learn from it? And that was the very church that sent us into pastoral ministry at some point. So I want to encourage us. You know, I mean, I'm not saying, but by and large, there's people might bail and it's really not legit. And, uh, and not only, there's too much, there's too much church transfer. I don't want to go by that too quickly. Come on. You know what? We're the body of Christ. Let's sink roots in. Let's water. Let's commit. Let's commit. And it's what we do in a marriage, you know? And so when we're part of a church family, you know, we, we dig in. And we, you know, Jesus said these offenses. We need to be a little more Teflon, a little more resilient, a little more Holy Ghost-abled 
to, to kind of write it out because these things are going to happen. Look, if one-third of the angels in heaven with everything they saw could be divided, we need to learn from that and say, come on, division is one of the enemy's ploys. He loves to get something under our craw and create a fence. And so let's shake it off and let's hang together and let's love one another and let's communicate and, uh, and, and give the benefit of the doubt and be able to have conversation about things. That must be the Holy Spirit because that's a, thank you. That's a whole lot more than what I had in my notes. So that's the Holy Ghost. As we read in these passages, it says, listen to the unity that's emphasized here. One body, spirit, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father who is over all and in all and lives through us all. There are six ones, the word one emphasized six times there, and then speaking about the Father who is over all and in all and living through us, there's the word us all, that's, that's inclusive. We're, there's a Father, it's, it's, it's really unity promoting, promoting unity, it's kind of what I feel the Lord laid in my heart today and it's certainly in the text. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, consider this, he didn't say, my Father who art in heaven, he said, our Father who art in heaven. And then he went on to say, additionally, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our, as, we forgive, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation. Deliver us from evil. This is family. Jesus is emphasizing family. Even in the Lord's Prayer, he talked about Father. And he didn't say, pray my Father. He said, pray our Father. So we have the same Father, and we, we are praying for each other for these things to be realized in our life. It's emphasis on unity. Um, and why we're on this, uh, we don't forsake the assembly of the brethren. Okay, I want to say that. And I find the word assembly interesting because it doesn't say don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. It says don't, and I would say sisters, it's appropriate to insert that. Don't forsake the assembly of the brothers and sisters, the people of God, don't forsake it. But it doesn't say gathering, it says assembly. You know what I like about assembly? Assembly is when things are put together. You know, if we come together and we see gifts in the church, we can say, I see gifts of teacher, pastor, prophet, evangelist, apostle, and all the other various gifts, and we can gather, but until we're assembled, then we really function. And so for, and I, and I know that I'm speaking to people in, in the sanctuary, and I know I'm speaking to people that are outside of the sanctuary, and this is a blessing. Was this not a blessing over the last year or so to be able to do this online and live stream? We, were, we did that too when we had to. But I have to tell you quite frankly, the minute they said you can get back in the building, I had to be here. I don't know about you, but I had to be here. I like the hugs I get. I like the eye contact I get. I like the prayers we pray for each other. How can we ever love one another and encourage one another if we're only doing it, you know, if we're opting all the time for that? Don't misunderstand me, those of you that are listening here, because there's good reason for it. There's a time that we've gotten in late the night before from a trip or we're not feeling so well or it's convenient because of another responsibility. But our custom, our practice needs to be in the sheep shed. Amen? Yeah. Needs to be in our father's house. And so I, I want to encourage us to that end. Um, we are family. And as a matter of fact, I'd like to look at Psalm 92. On this note, 
Let's just quickly look at Psalm 92. See, if we're planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of God, growing in grace. They will still thrive and bear fruit and prosper in old age. Hey, some of us are, meet that prerequisite as far as old age go, and all of us, all of us meet the prerequisite because we're planted in the house. Look what happens when we're planted in the house. Look at the blessing. And so we'll, we'll roll accordingly. And what else, what else is there besides, you know, the time frame that we've landed here on a Sunday? What else is there? I, I want to say there's a lot of brothers I see on the one Monday night a month. One Monday night a month. There's a lot of brothers I see that go. But I have to say, especially my young brothers, and I know you have families. I remember. Remember, I was pastoring at 36, driving a fire truck, and had three young daughters at home. I remember. But, but one Monday night, I miss you guys. And, and not only do I have things I want to share with you and give you a hug, and not limited to the young men, a lot of other brothers, but I need what you have. I need your encouragement. And I need to hear your prayer. And I need to hear your amens with, the, with some of the brothers that go. I'm just, you know, I can do this because I'm going to sit down and Pastor Scott's going to be here doing this all the time. So I'm probably taking a little liberty to encourage us in a firm way, in a loving way. But I, I miss you guys. And the same goes with ladies. You know, the ladies that meet, I encourage you to get together. It's more than Sunday. This is, this is the assembly of the body of Christ. There's a Tuesday and Thursday prayer gatherings. There's a, and, and coming in the fall especially are going to be home groups again that we're really getting into. And I have to say, this is what the early church did. The early church met together. And so I'm just encouraging us. And look, I understand this is fitting sometimes. I can't make it this week sometimes. I remember. But if we can lean into and be more consistent into our assemblies and our gathering, let me tell you why it's important. And this is really from a pastor's heart. Because you'll benefit from it. Because your marriage will be stronger. Because you'll have greater conviction. Because God's blessing will rest on your house. Because you're praying more and thinking on him more and thinking on other things less. And so it's a blessing. This is why I'm appealing to you. I'm not appealing because we're keeping attendance or we're clocking in. That's not it. It's because we'll walk in victory and be shining so brightly that those that are in darkness will see more of us shining and say, what is it that's going on in your life that I need? And we'll have a chance to tell them. Amen? These are some of the reasons. I mean, Ephesians 5 later says, why do we meet? We meet to get together in Ephesians 5 to read a psalm together, to sing a hymn together, to sing spiritual songs, to give thanks and make music. We do that when we're together. And so I want to encourage this. I don't want to beat this uh, too much into the ground. It's supposed to be uh, framed up in encouragement, and I want it to be that way. Um, let's look at uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. Um, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended uh, to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Boy, there's a lot right there. That, that's a lot right there. And uh, let me just touch on, uh, make some sense of that, unpack that just a little bit. The first thing I want to talk about is Jesus descended. And, um, you know, in the Apostles' Creed, if you're familiar with it, it mentions a number of things, but it also mentions that he descended. After Jesus died, he descended. And, um, well, let me look at Colossians 2.15. I think it'll help explain it. 
Colossians 2.15 is, is what went on here. It says, God or Christ, he stripped the spiritual rules and powers of authority. He disarmed, despoiled the rulers and authorities with the cross. He won the victory and showed the world that they were powerless, publicly shamed. He shamed them. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross or a triumph, uh, like a triumph general displaying his captives in a victory parade. When Jesus said, it is finished, that has, to be some of the, that has to be one of the best lines that's ever been uttered on earth. A couple of people feel so. That, that has to be one of the greatest lines that's ever been uttered on earth. To Tetelestai, it is finished or debt paid. Come on, this is good news. And not only did that occur, but when he did that, and it says... When, and we sang about it, Joseph's tomb. He was, this was a prophecy. He was put in the borrowed tomb of a rich man. It said that would happen. So when you sing about Joseph's tomb, that's Joseph of Arimathea. That tomb was readied for Jesus. He went in Joseph's tomb. By the way, that was written long before he was born, that when the Messiah did that, you recognize, hey, that's the Messiah, one of many prophecies. 300 general prophecies and 69, I'm going off my text here, it doesn't matter, 300 300 general prophecies about the Messiah and 69 major prophecies about the Messiah. If anyone wonders if, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this whole Bible Jesus thing is true, 300 fulfilled prophecies, not 50% accurate, not 75, but exactly 100% of 300 prophecies fulfilled in the life, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me tell you, stay right where you're at. You're in the truth. You don't have to go anywhere else. Amen? So he said to Telestai, it is finished. And he went to hell. Well, let's look at the next picture. I have a picture that illustrates it. This is the Lion of Judah, of course, Jesus. We actually have this artwork in our home. And it's a picture. It's from Mark Hallmark, a famous Christian artist. But he's showing Jesus as the Lion of Judah. And in his mouth, he's holding the keys to hell and death. When Jesus descended, he took back what Adam and Eve had given permission for because he became a curse on a cross. He died on a cross. He descended and said, that's my bride and eyes. That's ours. The keys to hell and death aren't yours any longer. Took it back and we have victory in Jesus. Amen. That, that's what happens. That's what happens when we read that he descended. And so uh, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Let me, let me move a little bit through this. Earlier... Pastor Scott talked to us in Ephesians 2.6. He said, we are seated, it's what it says, Paul the Apostle, we are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly realms and heavenly places. That's fascinating. If you think about that, it looks to me like we're all seated here. But, but I, what, what is it talking about? Let me, in the Greco-Roman culture and society, the one who sat at the right of a king shared their authority. So, yes, we're physically here, but there's a spiritual aspect to us. What it is is this. We need to understand, and thus the title this morning, who do you think you are? Who do we think we are? Or better yet, who, do we, who ought we know that we are? We know we are. No, I am seated in heavenly places, and it says that Jesus, where does it say he's seated? Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So the Father is seated here. Jesus is seated here. We're seated in heavenly places next to Jesus. Father, Son, it says right there in Ephesians 2.6. 
See, it speaks of our position and our authority in Christ. That's what it speaks of. And, um, and it's where we get our, our title again today. Who do we think we are? An important question, you know, who do we think we are? Our identity and position in Jesus. That's really important. I think the enemy oftentimes in the world around us causes us to forget and circumstances causes us to forget that we're more than conquerors in Christ. Today we're remembering it. You know, that we're seated in heavenly places. It's like, well, how does that work? What does that mean? Well, Jesus is the head. We read that clearly in Scripture. We're part of the body of Christ. And if Jesus is the head and we're the body, then all things are under our feet because we're part of the body of Christ. Um, let's see what Scripture, how Scripture supports us. Psalm 91 says it. Psalm 91 says, you, and we've looked at this not too long ago, at least with the men recently, we looked at this on a Monday night. You shall tread upon a lion and an adder, the young lion and the serpent shall, you shall trample underfoot. This is King David talking to the reader, which is still applicable for us today in Psalm 91. Well, how do I? Well, Luke 10, 19 says this, Jesus talking to the 70, Jesus said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy to walk among serpents and scorpions and to crush them and nothing shall by any means injure you. This is under your feet. This is under your feet. These are under our feet. Um, and so here's how I do it. Again, I, there's a couple things I'm going to share how I do it. And my wife's very good. She brings such balance into my life. She always says to me, well, be careful that you're not saying, you know, this is how we do it and you ought to do it this way. But I want to I encourage you that when I end up praying sometimes, oftentimes when I have a little prayer list, which I pretty much scratch out every day a fresh prayer list. It has a lot of the same things a lot of the time. But oftentimes at the bottom of my prayer list, I'll write EPH period 2-6. Why? Because I'll, I'll then say, and I send these things from the vantage point I have with Christ in heavenly places, I send these things according to my position where I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. See, that speaks to everyone that potentially can impact us in any realm. We know who we are. We know where we're praying from. And you could even go as far as to say specific things that you're wrestling with. You're under my feet. And you're under Jesus' feet because I'm part of the body of Christ. You're crushed. You've been disabled. As we read in Colossians 2.15, despoiled, disarmed, you're defeated. We're victorious. We're more than conquerors in Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? these sorts of communications. Amen? So we, we move on a little bit. Um, I want to move through Ephesians 4. One thing I want to say, um, it's discussed that Jesus gave gifts. We just read it, what gifts? And the Holy Spirit gives those gifts. As a matter of fact, because Jesus ascended, he said, if I go away, I'm going to send you another helper. He, so he ascended, he sent us the Holy Spirit, and these are gifts of the Holy Spirit that we've mentioned. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and not limited to just those in Ephesians 4. We could do a whole study on from Corinthians, from Romans, on gifts, and even not limited to those. When you go in the Old Testament to speak of craftsmen. I mean, this place is arrayed with gifts. Every one of us have gifts and potential that can be used for the glory of God, the expansion of the kingdom, and to bless others that might win them into the kingdom. We have a lot of gifts. Um, and so I want to communicate that to us. But um, one of the gifts, these gifts aren't limited, like apostle means sent. I mean, I was looking at uh, Wayne Cadero last night on TV from Hawaii. Wayne Cadero is a four-square minister. Um, I know uh, David's familiar with Wayne Cadero. We've talked about Wayne. Uh, 
He's apostolic. What does that mean? That means he's, he's not only pastoring a church, but he has such an apostolic anointing on him, he births churches everywhere. It's what Paul, the apostle Paul, was birthing churches. Apostolic means sent. So we could talk about all these, apostle, uh, prophet. Let me say, but, so there's the, of prof, the office of prophet, but we also are told by Paul to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. That's not just for the office of prophet. I don't know about you, but I'm praying regularly that I'd operate in greater words of knowledge, greater revelatory, and greater prophetic utterance. I'm praying for that on a regular basis. Why? Because the scriptures say to do it. Why? Because when I'm in a store and I'm handing someone my testimony and I'm communicating with them, if God gives me just some tidbit, it will cause them to go, my gosh, there must be a God. How could he have ever known that? And the, and the bottom line in that communication ought to be, how does he know that? Because he loves you. And so we don't always operate in the office, but we can operate in some of these things, even in evangelism. See, it says evangelist. We're not all Billy Graham. You don't want to operate in that, that level of evangelism. But we're also called to the Great Commission, if I'm not mistaken. Amen? To share our faith. And I, I know this. I know that none of us are really hitting the mark the way perhaps we feel we ought to in sharing our faith, faith and fulfilling the Great Commission. I know that. Um, and so I felt like I wanted to... I wanted to include this today. It was an option, but I'm going to include it. So, and again, I'm going to preface it by saying, my wife said, make sure you don't say, do it this way. I, I received that from her, okay? Um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, but, but I do read, it says, be, equip, be an equipper. Be an equipper. I'm trying to equip. I'm trying to encourage. I'm trying to suggest an idea of how this happens. So several years ago, I've done this twice. The first time I did it was at a fire station. I'll tell you how long ago it was. It was on a typewriter that I typed out my testimony and I would take it into San Quentin prison and I gave out thousands of those copies of my testimony in San Quentin prison. But I wasn't limited to San Quentin because I had stacks of it that I'd copy after I typed it and I'd always replenish them. I gave them out in the marketplace where I lived. And then several years ago, and then I stopped doing prison ministry. We came into pastoral ministry. I wasn't doing that. I didn't have those copies. And the Lord prompted me and said, do your testimony again. It was clear. And I did it. And, and the words flew off the keyboard on the computer. I mean, I really upgraded. And so I was typing that. And so what I did was I just, this is one sheet of computer paper here. I like to put it in color. It makes it a little less boring to the person I'm giving it to. And um, it's six paragraphs. And it's my short story, uh, but of course it all funnels down to and points to Jesus and the Father's love and the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God and their need to receive him. And I always have a little space where I can jot a little note on it. And um, this one says, it's my hope these six paragraphs encourage you. God bless Kelly. Uh, then it says, see John 14, 6 and Psalm 34, 8. You know what John 14, 6 is. I mean, at some point I hope they Google that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And I hope they also look up Psalm 34, 8, that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are they that take refuge in him. But I, I put this together, and so, and I've probably given out hundreds of these since we've moved to Klamath Falls. And so when I go get gas, um, and there's only two states in the country, New Jersey and, and Oregon, you have to stay there. So I'm going to make contact with somebody. I'm not pumping my fuel anymore. And when they come out, I look for an opportunity to give it. I've given many of those away when I'm getting fuel, but not limited to fuel. We buy groceries. There's people in the store. You know, I go to the marketplace, wherever it is. I just, you, you know, you put a few in your pocket and you're armed and dangerous. You know, 
a lot of you guys and gals are packing, okay? I'm packing too with the sword of the spirit and I'm armed and dangerous, okay? But I'm just encouraging us. It says to equip. I'm just saying that's one way. Now, recently I forgot some. I forgot them. My, my little testimony, I went out, but I had some ones in my pocket and I don't know, I'm not suggesting this, this might be stretching it, but I like to tip the people that fuel me too. I tip them most often, a dollar or two. And so recently I didn't have my testimony in this gal and she had a, a Wicca tattoo. There's actually a pentagram on her arm. She came out and, and I asked her, I said, well, tell me about your artwork. I knew what it was. And she said, oh, I'm into Wicca, you know, it's okay. And I didn't have my testimony, but I thought the thought came to me, my name's on that currency. If you're going to tip her, talk to, about, talk to her about me. This isn't God we trust. So I took a couple ones, and when we got done, I said, hey, I just want to tell you something. Thank you for your service. You work hard out here. I appreciate it. And, and I said, see here where it says, in God we trust? And she said, yeah. I said, many years ago when I was a young fireman, I didn't know the Lord, and I wasn't into the Bible or God, but I got to the point where things got so messed up, I turned to him, and he got me sat on a rock. I got my feet firmly positioned. He changed my life. And I said, you know what? I looked right, and she had pretty green eyes. And I said, you know what? God loves you and Jesus is real, and the Bible is true, and I thank you for the opportunity to tell you that. And I handed her a couple of ones, and she said, thank you, and I went on my way, because you know what? Jesus went to the cross for her too. Yes. Amen? And so uh, I don't know that I'm an evangelist, but I'm trying to fulfill the Great Commission, and I know one of my jobs is to equip, and so that's why I share that. You might figure out how, how you do that, but we need to be about our Father's business that way as well. Amen? Ephesians 4 continues, and I'm going to try to move through this. Um, two things, the spiritual warfare is so clear in Ephesians 4. I can see why Ephesians 4 is described as really an all-encompassing good guide for us as children of God. Spiritual warfare is something, and I'm not going to park and spend a lot of time here, but, but I'm going to say this. If you're not making notes, you ought to make notes on this because the things I'm talking about can make a difference. And so um, I want to say that... Um, we have to have it ready, the word. We've already talked about it. I preached on it. I'm not going there again. But we need to have the word. Remember, we talked about Jesus. Jesus taught us it is written. So I want to encourage you again. Revisit that just briefly. See, if we're in spiritual warfare, I want to talk about safe places that we're not reckless. I think we should neither be negligent nor reckless when it comes to spiritual warfare. Are you tracking with me on that? We should, I mean, there are some churches that so don't like this topic that they avoid it completely. And I'd say you're doing a disservice to the people of God if you're not talking to them how to be fortified and covered by the things God has given us to be covered in. Amen. I'm not going to avoid this subject, nor am I going to encourage you to be too reckless in this subject because there is definitely a balance point here. Okay, so the word, it is written, praying it, quoting it, declaring it on a regular basis. Praise and worship. The Lord had Israel on occasion get out in front of the army, did he not? Do we not read this? Why? There was something about praise and worship going forth and the army coming in behind them that somehow confounded the atmosphere and brought victory and protection to them. Play praise in your house, play it in your car. If you're not listening to praise, only here, it's, it shouldn't be limited to here. Get that praise going on in your dwelling place and in your being. And so praise and worship. Here's another one. Um, that came to me as I was writing these, and believe it or not, it's tithing and offering. Wow, I'm, I'm probably not going to get a lot of big amens on this one. Listen to this. 
Simply put, in Malachi 3, it says two things. One, and so it's in terms of agriculture in those days, but it fits for us today. It's still applicable today. It's, it, then it says, speaking of agriculture, the, the produce that you're bringing forth on the vine won't come too quickly and not go to full bloom sort of thing. You know, that, that what you're doing, God will get involved and bring a synchronization to what you're doing that you will be fruitful, number one. Number two, it says that the devourer will be rebuked. It says in Malachi 3, look it up later, write it down. But it says if you give, your fruit will keep coming in on time the way it's supposed to, and God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now, we've been doing tithing and offering for years, and we don't do it, for, and definitely this is not our motivation to do it. We're doing it because we're charged to do it and we're doing it because we love the Lord and we're doing it because he blesses us so we need to give back and see his kingdom expanded. So we give tithing, we give offering, but I am interested in the benefits that come. I wanna see things keep in synchronization or that it keeps coming in and if there is some principle where the devourer is rebuked, bring it Lord, I want the devourer rebuked out of my life, amen? These are some other benefits along with the windows of heaven being opened up and you always having what you need. And so, moving on. Here's another one. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Exodus 12, we read that Israel had to apply the blood of a lamb at the doorpost. Bear with me here. I might even be going a little bit longer today, but just bear with me. Okay? Israel was charged with putting the blood of a lamb at the doorpost to cause the spirit of death to pass over. And so it was the blood of a lamb. But the good news for us in Christ is now it's the blood of the lamb. And I'm telling you, it's important, I believe, on a regular basis to be speaking, declaring, decreeing, and announcing that you're covered in the blood of Jesus. I name nine people every day. There's nine people that I name that I cover in the blood of Jesus. My wife and I and seven others, I declare they're covered in the blood of the lamb. And I want to encourage you, if you're not doing it, you can. You might find when you start applying some of these things that these little openings that have been hitting you suddenly have no way in because you're applying specific things, but we're doing it with balance. And you don't hear me really engaging one-on-one -on -one with any of these things. We're applying the things God gave us as the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus. And here's another one. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. If you're aware that you're amiss somewhere, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you're aware, my gosh, I'm just still checked, what is it? And you examine yourself and you go, I know what it is and I need to address it. What does that do? Pretty soon, one of these brothers are gonna talk about the armor of God and one of them is the breastplate of righteousness. And if we have an opening in the breastplate of righteousness, see, he's faithful and just to purify and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The breastplate of righteousness needs to be completely sealed up, completely firmed. The breastplate of righteousness keeps us covered. Keep short accounts with God. Don't keep thinking, I'm gonna to talk to God about that and get that right. Let's be 100% right before we go to sleep every night. Oh my gosh, come on. Let's be, I'm gonna see if I can get a little more over here. 100% covered every night before we go to sleep. I don't know about you, but it, it causes me to sleep a whole lot more peacefully when I know that I'm current with God. Come on. Amen? Come on. I want to encourage you to that end. And then finally, and there's more things, but finally would be the name of Jesus. Would be the name of Jesus, right? The name of the Lord's a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And uh, the Amplified says, and set on high above, far above all evil. So, uh, and, then, and then finally, Jude 9. Even in Jude 9, it says, 
we're taught in Jude verse 9 that we say, the Lord rebuke you. See, we're not locking horns and dangerously starting in. It just says the Lord rebuke you. He goes on to explain, you know, even the archangel Michael didn't, when he was talking to the devil about Moses' body, he didn't engage in some big dialogue recklessly. He just said, even as an archangel, he said, the Lord rebuke you. And that's, that's the way to roll on some of these things. I mean, spiritual warfare is a whole other thing we could go into and do sermons on. But I, I felt if I'm supposed to equip, I want to encourage us. I don't want people to walk around limping and wounded. I want us to be victorious, right? Let's get covered up in, in, these, in these methods, in these ways that God has given us. Someone's going to preach on Ephesians 6 here, and there's going to be more on Ephesians 6. It's going to be great. Let me bring it into closing. I feel like I've gone a long time. and I, um, Let me bring it into closing here. The second, the second half of Ephesians 4, or the closing parts, are about love and unity. And simply put, we're called to be resilient with each other, to be gracious, forgiving, and loving to one another, and to be unified. Unity is definitely an emphasis as we've been reading through. I want to encourage you to read through the six chapters of Ephesians. I mean, pastor launched us out into it over these weeks. Every day we could be into Ephesians and keep drinking in what these ideas are. Um, and so unity is definitely one of the themes that are coming through Ephesians 4, a couple of them. One of them is unity for sure. Let me say, unity promotes blessing and kingdom advancement. Matthew 18, 19 says, and listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19. He said, again, I say to you that if two believers on earth agree that, that are in one mind in harmony about anything they ask within the will of God, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. See, that's unity. That's unity. Deuteronomy 32.30 says, one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. Ecclesiastes 4.9, I like to add this, in the 1971 Living Bible version of Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says this, two can do more than twice as much as one. Do you hear that? Ecclesiastes 4.9 in that version says, two can do more than twice as much as one. What does that mean? That means in the kingdom of God, as children of the king, and in the kingdom of God, there is a synergy. There is some kind of spiritual synergy that is not one plus one equals two. It's two can do more than twice as much as one. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. That's why we need each other, and that's why we need to be unified. That's why we need to have short accounts with each other as well. Kingdom synergy. Let me finish with this. And I, I like to ask the worship team to come up, if you would, please. And let me finish with this. Um, I have it on a PowerPoint. It's Psalm 133, if we can look at it. That, there's the first picture. I really like it. You know, how, how good and pleasant it is. Can we go back to that one for just a moment? Thank you. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity Psalm 133, but let's look at the whole of 133. Here's 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil of, consecra of consecration poured on the head, coming down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, coming down to the edge of his priestly robes, uh, consecrating the whole body. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down on the hills of Zion. For there the Lord, now this is what excites me. Where? Look, get this. 
Where does the Lord command his blessing? When there's harmony, when there's unity, when there's accord, when there's togetherness, God commands a blessing. I don't know about you, but I want to stay current with my wife. I want to stay current with my family. I want to stay current with the family of God. And I want to stay current with my God because there God commands his blessing. Amen, church? That's a word for us today from the Lord. The final thing I wanted to do, can we put that song up? There's a song from the 70s. I learned this at 12 years old in Idlewild, California. And uh, let's sing it together. I'm going to ask you to sing it with me. Can I ask you to stand too, please? We're going to go into our final song. But let's sing this. Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you may not have heard it, but it's a great song. And it really, we're singing about what we've looked at today. I'm going to acapella it, so please don't leave me up here doing that. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know. We are Christians by our love. Amen.